The Sixers were outclassed in every way imaginable on Wednesday night against the Boston Celtics, losing 128-101 to and falling to an 0-2 hole in their series. Their season is on the brink, and years of mistakes have resulted in one giant mess. Enjoy the podcast. The economy is getting back underway, and with it, the world of pro sports. Stay ahead of the curve with the unparalleled tools of two world-class news desks covering developments across finance, economics, technology, and sports. When you subscribe to Bloomberg, you get full, unlimited access to Bloomberg.com. Every article, every report, every chart and graph, and so much more. A subscription to Bloomberg includes all articles, audio versions of articles, videos, podcasts, and live streaming of Bloomberg television. As a Bloomberg subscriber, you also receive special subscriber-only newsletters, the Bloomberg Open and the Bloomberg Close, curated by their global editors. Subscribe to Bloomberg.com, and if you're not already a The Athletic subscriber, for a limited time, receive a complimentary subscription to The Athletic. Go to Bloomberg.com slash subscribe to sign up today. Once again, that's Bloomberg.com slash subscribe. All right, welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Ugh. <laughs> there, there is no sugarcoating this one. Um, so if you haven't yet watched the game or checked the box score or checked Twitter or had one of your friends text you in frustration, the Sixers fell 128-101 to to the Boston Celtics to fall down to a 2 to nothing series deficit. And Rich, it wasn't even that close. This was one of, if not the most frustrating Sixers games post-process era. This was as frustrating as it got. Good first quarter, though. <laughs> yeah. Hey, they kept turnovers down. They only turned the ball over nine times. Uh, that's it. That's all I got. That's all I got. And Joel Embiid's fucking fantastic, and we'll get to that, but. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a bad situation. I think a couple podcasts ago, I mentioned that I didn't want to do the obituary podcast yet, even though it it's felt like, it felt like we were going to get there. And, and I really felt pretty good that we were going to make it until they lost whatever game they were going to lose to Boston that ended their season. If there was ever a game that is not the final game of a team season that warrants an obituary pod. It is that one because that was a disaster in about 10,000 different ways. And it is a, uh, a game that is symptomatic of an organization that's from lost. top to that from top to bottom just has not been good enough for no. a long time now. They, they, that game, if you really wanted to see a, uh, an organization that looked like it was aimless, that's what the Sixers look right. And look, I know they're without Ben Simmons. I get all of that. It's a really good team in Boston. I think a lot of Sixers fans underrated that. I get that too. But I just looked up at one point in the third quarter when the Sixers couldn't even come close to getting him beat the ball in the post. And you're watching Boston. And look, Brad is going to get a lot of credit. He deserves it. He's one of the best coaches in the league. 
But all they do is they give the ball to Jason Tatum. They set one simple fucking screen for him. And he can get a high quality shot almost every time down the court. And then you watch what the Sixers are trying to do. And every possession just feels like an absolute chore. And it all it feels like these two teams were a collection of athletes built to play a different sport. And it's just Ben Simmons solves some of the Sixers problems defensively. Glenn Robinson would help too, even though I think his defense is overrated. But how lost this team is offensively, it's just not it's 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 very frustrating. It's very frustrating. Yeah, and it's a uh it's a low water mark for Brett, I would say, in terms of I think most people, even who are his supporters, are ready to get him out of here. And and I do understand that you might want some things done differently. But I'm just watching that game and thinking you know, there's going to be an adjustment. I'm sure next game Embiid mentioned afterwards that he wants to play farther up against Kemba Walker, but they have two, maybe even three or four. When you you bring in Tatum, they might have the Celtics might have five players when Marcus Smart is going good that force you to get up to that level of the screen, and that is so much easier than getting the ball into the post or whatever the hell the Sixers are trying to do. And the Sixers have zero of those players. None. They have Josh Richardson, who I thought a few times, and he was actually decent tonight. I thought besides Embiid, he was probably their next best player. A couple times, ran pick and roll perfect, snaked, got all the way to the rim, and just missed layups. <laughs> you know, and it's it just, it's frustrating. And that's not um, I don't want to. I don't want to be too hard on Josh because again, I thought he was okay in this game. But to have somebody like Tatum, where all you have to do is set a screen, you know, if the Sixers guard him out thirty-five feet from the hoop, all you have to do is set a flat ball screen for him. And really, what the Sixers have to do defensively now, and they should in the next game, is trap, get the ball out of his hands, and almost certainly give up a wide open three to somebody else. But the Sixers don't have. Anybody who can break a scheme like that defensively. Joel Embiid taking foul line jumpers against Enos Kanter. It's not breaking a scheme like that. No. And I I think that was my biggest takeaway. It's just, man, running offense. And and like you said, Brad Stevens, an awesome coach, elite uh, in a lot of ways. How easy is it to run offense for his team? They they have the guys who are the the modern NBA skill set dribble and shoot players and the Sixers are at the complete opposite end of the spectrum there. And it just, it makes it hard. It makes, you know, as much as you want to pile on Brett, he has to be perfect in these games. And in this one, they weren't even close. And look, Brett is going to be fired in a couple days, Brett. uh, And look, I'm not reporting anything. I'm making the same speculation that you are, but almost nobody believes that Brett Brown will survive a first round playoff exit. And look, I I completely get, like, I don't even think that's necessarily the wrong decision. Like I think at some point, Make changes so you can see whether or not it was a coach. Even if maybe I think the the issues are deeper than that, see whether it is a coach because that is the easiest thing to change. Pull all those levers that are easiest to pull first, and changing a coach is the easiest lever. But what I've been cautioning, and what I've always been cautioning all year, is that I think if you think you're going to change a coach and these issues are going to magically go away, I think it's so much deeper than that. And this series, and look, like I said, Brad Stevens, great coach. I think where you see that is on the defensive side of the court more than the offensive side. Brett Brown a couple a week ago, two weeks ago, I forget, when they played Dame Lillard and the Blazers, 
you can hear him. He's like, like that is the hardest person, a guy who can create with the ball in his hands and who can come off of a screen and just terrorize you. That is the hardest person to guard in the NBA. Sixers have none of that. They tried to get, well, they tried to get two. One of them in Markel Fultz, we don't need to rehash that. TLDR, yada, yada, yada. It didn't work out. And then you had Jimmy Butler, and we can get into that, but that didn't necessarily work out long-term either. And then they just— Jim, it's, Jimmy's it's, good, but he's not terrifying you off the, off the screen. And he's, he's not Tatum level, yeah. He's obviously a lot better than whatever they have right now. And, and his yes. ability to get to the free throw line in, in an unorthodox way is something that you see in Miami. Jason Tatum, he gets one inch off the screen— He's fucking pulling and he's making shots. Like I didn't even think Matisse's defense was that bad in this game on a few no. of those shots. Uh, he's just you. Whew, you need he's a, a really star of that level to compete in this league at the highest level. A, a perimeter star who can come off of a screen at that level to compete at the highest level. And for all the resources Sixers have invested in so many different players to not have one that not even like okay, you don't get a Jason Tatum. They're they're hard to get. And by the way, the Sixers weren't in love with Jason Tatum at the time of the draft either. And they weren't going to get him because Boston never makes that trade if they believe and they know that the Sixers are taking him number one. They don't let the Sixers trade into that pick, so it doesn't matter. But I've, like I talked to people with the Sixers, they didn't think he could grow into this number one option. The general just was, yeah, good role player, good in the system. Boston had, had him in, in his rookie year. We don't think he can make that next leap. Oh, oops, he did. Um, but I, it's tough to get a guy like Jason Tatum. I get it. I get it. You're not even fucking close. You're not even in the ballpark of a Jason Tatum. Like, Tobias Harris is a low, 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 low rent version of Jason Tatum. And it's just, like, the reason this game is frustrating isn't because they lost. It's not because they're going to lose this series. We we expected that. The reason that this game is this game was frustrating is because they don't look like they're close. And when you have someone like Joel Embiid, and look, pick and roll offense, Probably the easiest type of offense to run in the NBA. Post-up post offense, the easiest one to defend against. You need somebody to compliment him offensively. They're not even fucking close. They're not close. They're not close. It's tough because they have two teams in their division. and I mean, who gives a shit about divisions? But whatever. Two teams who they play four times a year who are their rivals in the Eastern Conference who are about the best organizations in the league. In, uh, in Toronto and Boston. They have awesome GMs. They have awesome coaches. And their players, you know, I think you, you can argue that the uh, the teams are better constructed, but their star players seem to also get better in yeah. ways that we, we don't really see with Joel and Ben. And part of that is they were really good when they got here right away. Right. I, 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 think, I think the argument you would make with Joel is that his improvement came – between when he was drafted and when he played. And look, he didn't, he clearly wasn't playing five on five, but he was doing a lot of shooting, doing a lot of drills. Um, he had that one summer before he got the second injury where Ishmith said that he was dominating the gym. Like, I think he progressed a lot in those two years, even if he couldn't practice normally. But yes, you're absolutely right. Um, and I think, go ahead, I'll let you finish and I'll add on. Yeah. And I don't want to pile on those two because they are the best thing the Sixers have going for them. And they, they have gotten better in some ways, obviously, Ben's defense, but. When you see guys like Tatum, when you see guys like Siakam continue yep. to get better in these super meaningful ways where they've become kind of number one options, 
that is, I think, a little bit of an indictment on the players too. And, and I guess my point is that the Sixers, um, they should be embarrassed how much better those teams are than than them. You know, and I, I get it; it's a it's a tricky fit with their with their stars, but organizationally, they've been lapped by those two teams. And even Boston has taken some wrong turns with Kyrie Irving. Yep. It hasn't all been perfect for them. But it's just, there's just so much that these other organizations do better. And while the Sixers are in a tough spot in this series, it, it just feels like they're, they're not close in a lot of ways. And, you know, again, this is this sounds very much like the obituary podcast, but when they get into this offseason, this weird offseason when we don't know when and where we'll be playing next season, this organization, and I'm, I'm going to call out the, the main person, Josh Harris, is going to have to take a long look in the mirror and try and figure out what's wrong because there's a lot here. Rich, a Lakers lottery pick, a number five pick, Landry Shamit, two first-round draft picks, $180 million, $109 million. Tobias Harris, or, I'm sorry, um, gave away part of the answer. Dario Sharch and Robert Covington, and two max cap space, and what do you have to show for it? You have Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, and Al Horford. Tobias Harris now and Al Horford, who combined for like $61 million, million this year, ended up with uh, 17 points and th- two assists on 18 field goal attempts in 48 minutes of play. Harris doesn't even look close to scoring. No. No, he's been fucking dreadful. I mean, um, I mean, like, think about this. Tatum, we talked about his creation ability and his his ability to take these step backs and shoot off the dribble and all this stuff. Joel Embiid posting up with uh, with Boston digging down and giving Harris catch and shoot wide open wing shots. Can't even do that. He took two two threes today. Yeah, he had he he could have taken seven. Yeah, missed them both, and he he doesn't take. I, I don't know. You, you can keep going. Sorry. No, I, I mean that's that's all I got. Like they they had to get all those assets, all those different ways. They needed one, one of those moves to work out, and it wasn't enough. It wasn't, it wasn't enough. I don't and, know. What and to I say. think what is sadder about this right now is you know the Sixers have had their rough spots over the past I don't know five six years whatever it's been. We've had some podcasts where it's been oh yeah this is this is pretty goofy what's going on right now, but at least. At those times, we could point to, oh, they had cap space. Oh, yeah. Simmons and Embiid are super young and they, they haven't played yet. Oh, they have all these assets and draft picks and all of these things. It, as the national media and, and people were bagging on the Sixers and saying, what a crazy organization is, all this stuff. I think on every one of those podcasts, we said, oh, they're, they're still in an okay spot. The difference now... Is that it's going to be hard for them to get out of uh, of this situation because, like you said, they have committed all of this money to guys that nobody is going to want at that money. <sighs> at least they got that number twenty one pick. Yeah, Mikey Moose is the only thing they got going for them <laughs> <Yeah>. right now. <laughs> Biggest <laughs> fucking shot of his Sixers career. Yeah, and that's I mean that's so like this was <laughs> they th- this is. 
not only that this is who they have, it's that this is who they they're committed to. Like there's, it's going to be so tough to pivot out of this. You don't, only one who's really easily movable is Richardson. And that's because he's only got one year left on his contract. <sighs> yeah. It's know. just, I mean, the, the idea of this team and how they constructed it. And look, I'm not going to lie. It's, I said. It's like Elton Brand thinks it's still a late 90s when he came in the league. I don't. And, and that's what we said coming in here. We, we wondered how they were going to get buckets later in the year. They've been worse defensively than I thought they'd be. Far worse. Yep. And that's part of the reason. I mean, I I think I picked for them to go to the finals. I feel like an idiot. That was really. Meanwhile, Ime Yadoku still gets head coaching interviews. It, it's honestly a little bit amazing. And look, I don't know how much say he has. I think it, historically, the defensive coordinator has had a pretty pretty wide wide ranging latitude under Brett. I don't know how much exactly Ime has, but I'm a little surprised that his performance this year hasn't been scrutinized a little more. When we talk about some of these head coaching vacancies, but anyway, it's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. He has a great reputation. Everyone likes him around the league. He did a good job in San Antonio, so you want to give him a pass. But the defense hasn't been good enough. Yeah, and and coaching, like we said, sometimes there are circumstances that you just can't account for. Uh, I agree with you, though. This defense sucks. <laughs> it's not good enough. And I think uh, you know as well as Embiid played offensively today. His defense he was not good defensively at all. His defense has sucked for a couple of games. And I yeah. think it, it's annoying to watch Enos Kanter just slide in front of him for, for offensive rebounds. Enos Kanter, very good offensive rebounder. Don't want to um, shortchange him there. But Embiid, yeah, just not having the type of two-way effect uh, defensively. And he, you know, he was, he was very good offensively. But when he says I need to give more, like he just, he was not impactful enough on the defensive end. I mean, and even shots around the bucket that he just didn't slide his feet to contest. And it's like, that's the whole, the whole scheme is based around that. And like you said, you don't really like, he ended up with 34 points on 21 shots, only turned the ball over twice. His post passing was much better uh, tonight than it was in the previous games. Him and shake had a nice little yep. um, rapport going there, but yeah, defensively it was, it's, it, and it's tough. Like when you're, a, the post player, who you have to work hardest to get post shots and anywhere else on the floor. But A, you're the only real option offensively that can beat your man. And B, you also have to be the entire linchpin that the entire defense is built around. I get it's tough, but he does have to be better defensively. At least Ben Simmons' stock has gone up, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, look, if they played great, we'd be having a conversation of, oh, maybe they should trade Ben Simmons. At least we can avoid that one. I think it's safe to say that Ben Simmons is pretty good and he does, you know, despite the, <laughs> the fit issues that he presents with his shooting or his lack of shooting, the amount of offensive creation he does for this team is really important. They shot with the shoot 18, three step Five for 21 couple in garbage garbanzo beans time. Yep, exactly. They were, they were at like four for 18 with a couple minutes left in that game. And, you know, the, the Celtics <laughs> were putting in taco fall at the end. So that, that doesn't really count. You, you can't win when the other team shoots twice as many three-pointers. And it's just a uh, – look, it, it's been the roster construction the entire season. I, I think it's it's just so ill-conceived with, with the lack of perimeter skill that this team has 
it's just it's really poorly put together. And I look, I think in these next couple of games, they'll probably be better. I don't know. I, I don't want to make any promises right now for this team. Maybe they win one, and and Boston. To to be fair to the Sixers tonight, even when the scheme was was wrong, um, like Grant Williams two for two from three, Wanamaker, Javante Green, Romeo Langford. I know Kemba missed some some easy ones, but they had some contributions from unlikely places. And there, you know, it's funny with Hayward going down. I thought, all right, maybe the Sixers have a little more of a shot with Boston's bench. Guys like Wanamaker and Ojale and these guys. That's when the game turned. Yeah. Those guys killed them. And I think that is where it'll take a rewatch if I if I can muster it. Uh-huh. And, and, you, and you can re- you can muster it. Yeah, while we've been recording, I've been rewatching a lot of Jason Tatum's because I have I have like four monitors going on in this just ridiculous office I have set up. But I was uh, on one of the monitors. I have Jason Tatum's all of his sh- field goal attempts going on. It's a uh, it's just as depressing the second time around, Rich. It was a weird game too because I think midway through the third quarter they kind of gave up. <laughs> like they. They started pressing and playing zone, but it was like very soft traps and wide open threes for the Celtics. It kind of felt like an intramural game or something like that. And it just, uh, it just backfired in every way. But I think the, uh, the main point I have is that the way this team was built, it, uh, it's a fitting ending to the season. And, uh, (laughs) It's just, I mean, it's really poorly put together. Tobias Harris is the one they went all in for. I can't. It's, it's, it's really bad. I, I just, <laughs> I, he's the nicest guy. He's, he's I, I so think nice. The stuff he does in the. I think uh, it was, I think it was uh, uh, Spike who made this mention though. Like he's become the new Brett because you preface every criticism with, he's so nice. Oh, I mean, he's got the <laughs> worst contract true. in the league. It's, it's not, I. You know, I think Hollinger had him second behind Clay Thompson. I'll take Clay Thompson over him in a, a heartbeat. And that's only because you don't know if Clay's going to be able to come back and be what he was. Clay Thompson shoots threes. I know that. Uh, yeah. And Tobias is, he's a minus defender who is, I, I think I saw a stat where he's now averaging, or he's scored under his regular season average. Like for, 10 straight playoff games or something. It's crazy. Yeah. Four of 15, five of eight from the free throw line. I guess he got to the free throw line eight times. I guess that's okay. Um, it's it's bad. He just does not impact the game at even close to the level that they need him to. And that is a, uh, that's a disastrous sequence of events by, uh, by Elton Brand and the whole collective there. Brutal. We are going to have one heck of an offseason, Rich. One heck of an offseason. Are we? Are they going to be able to move these guys? Oh, no. He, Tobias is <laughs> Tobias has the most job security on the team. Brutal. All right, let's pause for a brief word from DraftKings. Sure, the regular season is fun and all, but only one thing can compare to the excitement of basketball's playoffs, and that's having skin in the games with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Basketball has made its way through the regular season. Now it's time to crown a champion, and DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you in the center of the action. To celebrate basketball's first round of the playoffs, 
DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you an amazing free bet offer. For every day that you bet at least $20 on basketball, DraftKings Sportsbook will give you a free $10 bet. Head to the app right now and check out all they have to offer, including player props, quarter-by-quarter betting, and so much more. Plus, don't forget about hockey's playoffs. DraftKings Sportsbook is offering great odds and promotions all week long to help you make it rain. DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe, secure, and reliable betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code TOSS when you sign up. For a limited time, all users can get a $10 free bet when placing a bet of $20 or more on all first-round playoff action. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out by offering a $10 free bet when placing a bet of $20 plus on all first-round playoff action. Again, that's promo code TOSS only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Pennsylvania only, in partnership with Reddell's Racetrack and Casino. Other terms and conditions and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And now back to the show. What, uh, what can they do? So, like, we, we talk a lot about the pick and roll scheme. By the way, the worst part is, like, Shake and Jay Rich. If you look at their stats, they played okay. Yeah. Horford so, I mean, and she, Harris. Holy shit, man. Yeah, they were so bad. And Horford was, like, in a weird way, he was even worse than his stats. Look, Rich, he took three shots and had two rebounds in 23 minutes. It's unbelievable. He's, what is he doing on the court? He's like and a what? man without a nation right now. He just has no... He's, and even, and even there, he's running around he, there he's, aimlessly. Posting up in front of Joel, and it's like, get out of the fucking way. Oh, and Jay Rich can't throw an entry pass. Shake can't throw an entry pass. Yeah. Shake's passing has been a, a, a real problem. He's been, look, he played... I don't killed Shake too much, because a lot of people are like, oh, well, he can't bring the ball up, he can't throw an entry pass, and we kind of brought... Especially the bringing the ball up part up before the series. This wasn't the role he was supposed to be playing. Like, that was supposed to be... Like, I, I, I do think Shake as a combo guard, a combo quote-unquote point guard... With Ben Simmons there to alleviate some of that pressure makes a hell of a lot more sense than the role he was thrust. In. I mean, his starting backcourt mate was Matisse Thybulle and Josh Richardson. Like that's yeah. that's a tough spot. You do not have enough ball handling in that starting lineup. You do not have enough floor space. Look, look at look at Embiid. And I mean, look, you're you're replacing Horford with Thybulle, so it's not like you're losing a not. Or, um, you're yeah, Horford a with Thybulle. It's not like you're you're, but like you're still not even gaining really shooting out of that. Like no, Richardson. 18 points on 6 of 12. Probably would have been 10 of 12 if he could have made a layup. He uh, actually thought he was decent. Had three assists and one turnover, but that turnover was the worst entry pass I've ever seen. (laughs) He had Embiid ceiling in the middle of the lane. (laughs) And Harris had one of these in the first game of the series. Simple bounce pass, and that's a score. Where they, they throw these entry passes, and I think Embiid, he's dropped a couple too. Sneakily, you don't want to completely put it all on the uh on the passer sometimes when you watch it closely but he's got a pretty big strike zone and they are uh they're not hitting it and i i just think i don't know what do you think they can do in this series besides lose oh well they 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 can definitely lose they're gonna um, lose. i mean i do think the pick and roll coverage and look, I thought you, you you did a great job explaining it earlier today. Um, and Embiid not only being back there to cut off the drives, but also to cut off the cutters. That happened when you top lock and sort of force them down on the baseline. It's all true. 
Tatum and Walker are just, they're too comfortable pulling up, not only from two, but from three. You're asking too much of Batista to chase over there and get that rear, rear, rear contest. And to be honest, they don't really look as bothered by it as they were the first couple games of the regular season anyway. It's not having the same impact. Um, I, th- I think, and I don't know if that means bringing him beat up because you don't want, you don't want him be dancing with Walker out of three point line. That's not going to work. No. And um, by the way, they brought him beat up a couple times in the first game, not even up to the three point line. He, uh, he gave up an M1 to Walker, went yeah. right the hell by him. So I don't know if that means helping off of the wings and pinching down Yeah, and letting some of these, especially now that, that, um, Hayward is out and you're going into less proven bench players. I think that's probably what you look for the most. And then be taking a step or two up as well. Um, but you got to do something. You can't just let Jason Tatum. I mean, he's 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 walking into these shots. Like, he shot eight for 12 from three. They look like layups. It, it's just, it's too easy for him. And he's skilled enough where he can rub right off Tice's shoulder on these screens. And Matisse, as good as he is, there's just no way to get around it when he's pulling up that close to the screen. He did it a couple times with those... Uh, with those blocks, I would say one thing about the drop coverage. I think it works, and Van Gundy hit on this during the broadcast. The Celtics basically have two setups on offense. The first one is their motion setup where Tice or Canner will eventually get the ball at the top of the key. And, you know, they have two wings on either side. And that's when you see the top blocks. And then they ask, you know, whether it's off a stagger or DHO or whatever, they ask the center to make that play. On those situations, I think it's okay to have Embiid all the way back and try and top block it. But there needs to be an understanding as soon as they get the ball in a DHO or a pick and roll, something has to happen. And that's, I I think it, it might be trap, honestly. You might have to trap and get it out out of their hands. And I think, like, look, I think the the tough thing about this, and Brett doesn't necessarily want this, those guys like Grant Williams, Brad Wanamaker. Wanamaker hit a three that was a pull-up off the, off the dribble tonight. I was pretty surprised by that one. Langford, all of these guys. Did you not have that back when you were teammates? Or no. did you play against them? No, I played against them. Okay. No, he didn't. I did. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, oh, I've seen, but, but I've seen those guys, I, I buy it. I buy it. Wait, r- real quick, too, before I get to my thought on this. I can make an open three in the in an NBA game. Elliot Shore are Parks. You, are you talking about the Elliot Shore Parks question? Yes. Yeah. I, I that, think that was... if they don't guard me, I can do it. But I would get destroyed in every other facet. And, yes. Uh, and I do the question, think the, if you're the an okay player, basketball you can do it. Isn't, it isn't, can you make an open shot? It's could you even get the like three dribbles in against NBA pressure? No, defense? I couldn't. And do the that. answer is no. No, yeah. I'm not saying that. But if my feet are cemented into the ground, right? Unlike a lot of the Sixers, I might be able to make the shot. Uh, so, so the Sixers. And are by just- the way, just go- going off of that, the hardest is by far hitting a home run in, in a baseball game. By far, it's not going to happen. You will never luck into it. Period. Totally agree. I don't think I'd ever make contact. Like even a, no. even a foul ball, I don't think that would happen. Although to be fair. Hockey would be pretty hard for me too. I don't know how to skate, but, yeah, but I, I, I think in general the the toughest skill, if if everybody's starting from the same spot, yes, that is. I'm not saying hockey is going to happen. I'm saying it has a better chance of happening than baseball. And I I played a decent amount of baseball. There's you you get that first slider slider that you think's going to end up in your rib cage and ends up a strike. You're done. You're done. 
So, There's a reason go. why guys are the number one pick and they have to play minor league baseball for four years. Right. Before. Right. <laughs> Even guys that are that natural, that great at it and work that hard for that long. They're still nowhere near ready. Yep. All right. Good talk about that tweet. I got to well, say, I, thank you. Better than talking about the Sixers. Thank you to Elliot for giving us a, a short interlude there. That was, uh, <laughs> that was a pretty funny tweet. I think you're just going to have to double though and make the Wanamakers and Williams and these are going to be wide the F open shots. And you're just going to have to make them shoot those. I, I don't think during the end of the first quarter, beginning of the second quarter, when the Celtics made that big run and they had, I think at one point they had Tatum, Williams, Canner, Ojolet, and Lankford on the floor. That's one where it's like, okay. I know Canner made a three at one point. Tatum, you need to get the ball out of his hands. That that team is way too limited for for him to beat you in any way. So, yeah, I would like to see some sort of, of change. But, yeah, I think just bringing Embiid up to the screen. No, it's not going to. It's not going to work it. against this team. And I think it's one of the tough things about the NBA right now. You have guys like Lillard and Walker and Tatum and these players. I just don't understand what you do with them if they have three good shooters surrounding that pick and roll. It's tough. But the Sixers, I just, whatever. I, I would rather anybody else shoot open threes because at this point, the, the Tatum shots are layups. And frankly, they've gotten pretty lucky with some of the some of the open threes that Walker has missed. Oh, yeah. Why was Howell Neto in the game? I almost I almost called him Rowell. I'm so frustrated I can't remember his name. Why was he in the game? Really weird. I, I don't understand it. I think there's an argument to be made that maybe you could put him in over Scott or Cork, but the fact that he comes in first over Burks, who had yes. been playing well, is if it was over Cork, I I I could see it. Even though he's still not gonna defend, but I could I could at least see it more. Yeah. I sneakily think uh, sorry, I think that Neto is sneakily worse than Cork on defense. He's just too small. No, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Cork, uh, but there are just times where where, where you need, a, especially after game one, I could see wanting a little bit of stability in terms of decision making. Definitely. Um, and and Cork, like I, I agree with you. And frankly, I'd probably play Cork over Howell Neto anyway. Play, yeah. Um, but it, that would be the one I could see instead of Burks. And Burks was brutal. Like brutal, and this is one of the Burks is one of those guys where he's either playing well and you go, oh wow, he should be starting, or like he's he's just unplayable and you got to get him off the court. And tonight was the latter, unfortunately. Embiid had three assists and two turnovers. He could have had seven or eight assists by just making that simple read that I advocated for in that post. And and Burks got a couple of them. Yeah, some of the the shots they got were were pretty good and they just didn't make them. And yeah, it's it's what you've been saying the whole time. Burks has been really good, but I'm a, I'm a little scared about what the the next few games could be and what his career suggests they might be. But uh, you know, it's it's tough when you're relying on Alec Burks because you don't have that skill set at all. Right. It's uh Alec Burks is super intriguing. Because he's the type of guy the Sixers just don't have. 
But that doesn't mean Alex Burke. Al- I can't do names tonight. That doesn't mean Alec Burks Alex is Burke. good at the skill set that he has. <laughs> it's two different things. Yeah. And the, the problem with him is in order for him to be useful, you pretty much have to let him run high pick and roll and just attack, attack, attack. And he's just, he's not good enough to have that kind of tunnel vision on most nights. On some nights he will be like the other night. Um, like, like a lot of the bubble, quite frankly, but he's, I mean, he's, he's just a skill set they've abandoned. And that's why he looks so intriguing. Maybe they could change the rules. And, uh, like Kirk Goldsberry said in, uh, in his book, Sprawl Ball, maybe they can, uh, narrow the lane line a little bit to help, help the big man out. I don't know what, <laughs> this is tough, man. I, I just think even with Embiid and he was really good offensively, 13 free throws, you know, there, there are times when, uh. When maybe he settled for jumpers that you thought, ah, maybe he could have gotten a little deeper. But for the most part, really good offensive performance from Joe. Also, Van Gundy, like it's a two for one, buddy. It's it's okay. <laughs> see, I was I was I was watching the uh, the local broadcast, so I did not see that. But your tweet was a uh, it was a good one. It was a good one. I, I just think every time he shoots a three, we can. S- spare me a little bit. I, I think he, he shot he shot two threes on a night, and one of them was. Only to get a two for one. Yeah. And you can't get all the way to the basket at all times. It's, uh, it's tough. I think, you know, the the Sixers and and their spacing is always going to be rough. I I think there's probably a little bit too much made of the dunker spot in the past few days. Yeah. Did you see that? The video by Kevin O'Connor? I saw it. Yeah. He Uh, he asked the question the other night. Yeah, he basically followed up his question with a video on it and like yelling at the Sixers that this isn't Tim Duncan's prime and the rules have changed. If you go back and you watch all of his turnovers and all the turnovers from the post, almost none of them came from pressure from the dunker spot. Like that has not been a Sixers spacing issue almost at all. Yeah, um, it's, it's it's weird, a, it's right? A, you've got you've got Josh Richardson on the strong side and like Josh is lollygagging around. He doesn't even like it, Josh's off ball placement. And, and foot placement and getting into a shooting pocket, it, it's non-existent. Boston does not care about Josh Richardson on the perimeter on a, as a catch-and-shoot threat because he's not even ready. Like, he's going to get the ball, pump fake, drive, and, like, they're just willing to help off of him constantly. They're willing to help off of Matisse Thibel constantly. Even fucking Tobias Harris they're helping off of. It's not... The dunker spot hasn't been the issue. Even though if I might think a little more about a four-out, I don't think it's been the problem with the Sixers post offense. It's a weird thing where I would rather have him four out. But on the other hand, if you put Thibel in the corner four out, his right. defender isn't, him. his defender is not moving. Right. And Thibel is a perfect person to put in the dunker spot because A, he can dunk, he can cut, and he's, got and a small he's dude not on spacing him. anyway. Yeah. He's got a small dude on him, so he could actually get a right. rebound. Right. Yeah. I, I think this series has. Made me rethink Ben and the dunker spot a little bit. I don't think it's a, a good thing that he's always there, but it does go to show that their issues with spacing go far beyond that. And yeah, from the first game, I think the bigger problem was not being able to put a shooter on the strong side, whether yes. that was Burks or Shake or Cork. I don't know how you could enter the ball. You know, it's. It would be interesting. I mean, I, I understand that a lot of the film people I follow on Twitter wonder why they don't move at all. And 
you know, they need to cut and they need better spacing and all of these things. It's, it's tricky because Embiid's not getting all the way to the other side of the paint on these post-ups. He's really, he's either shooting in front of the player or maybe getting to the middle. It's, uh, it's made me rethink it a little bit. And I, I honestly think a big part of post spacing moving forward is just finding a guy like Redick who on the strong side, you can't leave yeah. and making that double come from somewhere on the weak side where then you can be a little more creative cutting and Joe can have that extra split second to, uh, to find guys because Boston, they're doing the same thing every time. Yeah. They're Fucking having Marcus that smart man. Oof. Yeah. Jalen Brown. That's the other thing too, is that they're really good. <laughs> And they have these guys that can play halfway in between to the point where really the only thing Joe can do is spin baseline, which is kind of scary if you spin back because they'll steal the ball from you. Which he loves to do. Yeah. He and loves to do. And you and everybody in the league sits on that now. Or he can pass it out. But to not a great shooter. And that's uh therein lies the rub. But you just see the, the Boston Celtics, in addition to being better coached and better ran, they have these players that are multidimensional and can do all of these crazy things on the fly. And, and I understand there, there's like a need for maybe a little more creativity than what Brett is giving you. But a lot of the, the creative switching and things they do, it's personnel driven on the defensive yeah. end. Shake Milton is not able to do that. Tobias is not able to do that. No. And that. They, it's so amazing. They're really they, impressive, by the way. Boston? Yes. Yeah, they're great. You talk to a lot of people in the NBA, and a lot of times they will use passing. Like when you're scouting college, a lot of times they will use passing as an overall indicator, not only of offense, but of defense, of court awareness, of basketball IQ, of attention to detail. And you talk about rotation and defense. I don't know if Tobias Harris has the defensive IQ to get caught in a switching scheme or a, a scramble scream, scramble system, uh, scheme, scramble scheme. That's what I was going for. Like, I don't think he would thrive in that environment. I don't know if right now, Really, anyone outside of Thibel and Richardson would. They just don't have enough players who are smart, who are aware. They don't have that offensively. And really, the lack of dribbling and passing and shooting, we've talked about all year, but just the quick decision-making is infuriating. And they don't have that quick decision-making defensively either, um, especially not with Simmons now out. You know, I think you, ha- you have a base of that with Richardson and Thibel and, and, and Simmons, but you don't have enough of it right now. And losing Simmons... And look, they would have had, I would have picked Boston in the series even with Simmons, but losing Simmons has been a big loss. Uh, losing Robinson has been a loss. I don't want to say big loss because I think his defense is pretty bad, but like when we're comparing it to Howell Neto and Furkan Korkmaz, he looks, he looks like an all world defender. And the Sixers right now, the scheme isn't working and they have to change that. Joe said it after the game. I agree with him. But they also, they just don't really have the personnel either. No. Boston's a better team. And like you said, better team, better personnel, better schemes, better coach, better. Their stars are more consistent. It's, they're just better. It's It should be a major wake-up call. And I think it, it's one of those things where it's an accumulation of decisions 
and habits that have formed over the years when maybe things weren't uh, weren't always so obvious that these organizations were doing better, but it is it's painfully obvious how far ahead those two specific organizations, the Boston Celtics and the Toronto Raptors, are ahead of the Sixers. I mean, the Raptors, they're doing it with cap space next season. Yeah. They're doing it with ambitions to get better and get Giannis. It's, uh, I, I think the, the good news is that most people are going to wake up to it now. There's no hiding from what a disaster this is. And in some way or another, the Sixers are going to have to own this because uh, there's no, there's no excusing this and and they need to, they need to do a lot of stuff, but they're, uh, it's clear that they are are failing in a lot of different ways, and uh, this off season is going to be pretty interesting. Here, here's here's what I, I texted some earlier today, and if the Sixers do decide they need to replace not only the coaching staff but the front office, I feel like it feels like a Van Gundy hiring, not just because he's a name, but because it means Josh Harris only has to do one job search instead of two, and that is a uh, depressing way to look at it. Yeah, I would. <laughs> and I love, I I would love to cover Stan. He would be a fucking blast. But I don't, I don't agree at all with having a coach also be the president. But it feels like, well, uh, no, he would like, he, he he would be okay with just being the coach. I think. You think? I think he said. Now maybe he he had to say this, but I, I heard him on an interview saying that he doesn't want to do that again. And now yeah. that's what every failed coach GM says because <laughs> they're trying to get another coaching job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just feels like that is the next mistake to come down the pipeline. I, By the way, and, and I, I guess I've been holding this in for a while. Josh Harris deserves this for... It all comes from him. He deserves this for calling the process a fucking science experiment. Because guess what? That science experiment is the only reason you have a couple of good players and have been relevant. And since you have gone away from that science experiment, you have had no direction... And are now in a place where, I mean, you feel like a team that's stuck in the middle with two stars, which is it's amazing. It's amazing. Incredible. <laughs> that, that science experiment is the only reason, Scott O'Neill, that you sell tickets. It is the only reason that the Sixers are relevant. And this time, con- conduct a wild science experiment like conducting a job search. Don't hire your advisor's kid. After interviewing two people, oh, I know you started with a list of 75 people, whatever, you interviewed two people, uh, do not promote from within a guy who has no experience. Like, do an actual search. This is, you're going to, you're going you're, you're gonna to fuck up and waste a star's prime. And um, that is the biggest sin to commit in this sport. We were, we were holding that in for, I don't know how long we've been podcasting for, but it, it, 45 minutes almost at this point, but it's the fucking truth. Look, I had to watch that game, man. I had to watch that game. It's the truth, and they need to evaluate what they're going to do moving forward and just own how bad they've been. It is, uh, by the way, they are meat nationally. Meat. They are going to get slaughtered. And by the way, they deserve it. Yes, they do. Joel Embiid, 34 points, 10 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 turnovers, 1 block. Didn't matter. Didn't even come close to mattering. You were outclassed in every which way. And with that, Rich, thank you for jumping on 
and have a better day than the one that is about to end here tonight. If they win game three, we should talk about it like none of this happened. I think that would be a very funny podcast. <laughs> I mean, look, no, I, I, I don't think I think it will be a gentleman's sweep. I don't think they will lose in four unless they just completely give up, which I mean, it's not impossible. Like at least normally in a normal world, you would have your home crowd to sort of give you an artificial boost here yeah. after getting really not even being competitive. Um they don't have that now, so anything is up in the air. I think they win one out of. It. I'm with you. It's a tough. Uh, it's a tough situation to be motivated. I think when you know. I, I think there is something to play for, though. If they, if they are a little more competitive in these games, I don't think that should affect any of the decision making moving forward. But like, let let's see something from the players and and from Brett. I think that would reflect better on them moving forward, even if. These changes need to be made anyway. I'll just say that, and don't do the uh, don't do the one two three Cancun thing. Although you're not going to Cancun during a pandemic. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, have a good one, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.